0: Well, hey there. Welcome back to another episode of the Online Marketing Made Easy Podcast. I'm your host, Amy Porterfield, and I'm thrilled that you've tuned in to this bonus episode. As always, first, a shout out to a loyal listener. My listener review spotlight is from Carolyn Carpenter. She posted a picture on Facebook of a piece of paper that she filled out with all of my podcast episodes broken down into categories. Girl after my own heart. So she's efficient here because she wrote in a Facebook post: Here's my listening list for today. I'm in the midst of a launch and I like to make tweaks from the podcast. Total gold. Thanks, Amy. Well, Carolyn, thank you so very much. I love how organized you are. And I love that you are inspired to listen to my podcast to help with your launches. I mean, music to my ears. Okay, so if you've been listening to my podcast for a while, you already know that I love helping people build their email list and create and sell online courses. I am very passionate about helping people make money online while doing what they absolutely love. And while there are some super sexy parts to building and growing your online business, there are some not so sexy parts as well. And today we got to dive into one of those setting up your business structure to protect you and your business. So today I've brought on Bobby Klink, who I like to call our resident attorney, who is going to talk to us about the options we have in setting up a legal entity to protect ourselves and our businesses. He'll go over what your options are, the differences between those options, and what kind of business structure is best for an online entrepreneur. And don't worry, Bobby has a way of making all this legal stuff sound kind of fun. I'm not really sure how he does that, but I often say that he's an entrepreneur first an attorney second. So he really gets who we are and what we're doing online. Okay. I won't make you wait any longer. Let's go ahead and
1: dive in. Hey, Bobby, welcome back to the show. Thanks for having me. I'm I'm excited to be here, Amy, and and talk about another subject that's almost as exciting as the last time we were together. (laughs) It's a
0: super sexy topic, so let's get ready. You are now officially our resident legal counsel. I think that is very cool. Like I come to you with so many questions around legalities with courses and our website and contracts and all that good stuff. So you're the perfect person to have on the show to talk about this topic. And as you mentioned, the last time you were here, we were navigating through GDPR, and I'm so thankful that you walked us through that. So again, thanks for that episode.
1: Well, you're welcome. Thanks for having me on. It was a lot of fun. And by the way, tell Rick I'm coming for him. You know, I'm I'm (laughs) going to start. You know, taking his place as your resident uh, person who comes on every once in a while. I'm
0: totally going to let him know that you are taking over. So he just better watch out. It's so funny because when I had Pat Flynn on, Pat's like, "I'm taking over for Rick." So everyone's vying for his position.
1: (laughs) He better show up and represent soon, right? That's right. That's right. You know, I love when you have him on and and your rapport with him is great. So I just thought about that. And I've been interacting with him a little bit the last few weeks. So I thought about that.
0: It's so funny. I love that man. Okay, so today we're going to help my listeners decide on whether they should be setting their business up as a limited liability company, an LLC, or an S-corporation. But before we dive into all of that, will you tell my listeners a little bit about yourself in case they didn't hear the GDPR episode we did a while back?
1: Yeah, I'd love to, Amy. So I am an attorney, but I like to say I'm not really an attorney. I'm also an online entrepreneur, and that's where I spend most of my days or most of my time these days is thinking about the same issues that your listeners are. I'm currently working on creating some courses and revamping my funnels and all of those things. And so I'm kind of at that, the point where lawyers come together with online entrepreneurs. And so what I do is I help other online entrepreneurs get legal peace of mind. I help them get all of the basic protection in place, and I do it in, in a couple different ways. One, I've got my do-it-yourself option, which is youronlinegenius.com, which You told me you always thought I was saying, I'm the genius. I'm not. (laughs) I'm saying I'm helping you protect your online genius. But so that's where I have DIY options and training and that. And then I have a law firm, Clink LLC, where I help people kind of one-on-one and direct relationships when they want a little more help.
0: What's really cool about Bobby is that, well, I said this in the intro, but I'm just going to say it, Bobby, because you didn't hear me say it. I love that you are an entrepreneur at heart first, and that really comes through. So when I talk to you about my legal stuff, you get my business, which is very rare when I talk to lawyers. So (laughs) you have definitely that secret sauce in terms of understanding entrepreneurs and how an online business is ran. So that's why I keep coming back again and again. Okay. So. I have listeners from all over the world. So does this information that we're going to cover today
1: help people, let's say in Canada or people overseas? Well, some of the things we're going to talk about will help them. But sadly, deciding whether you want to be in an LLC or as an S-corp, that's not an issue outside of the United States. Um, in fact, outside of the United States, the concept of a limited liability company doesn't really exist. I mean, maybe there's some some places, but in places like Canada, the UK, and Australia, you don't have that option. Instead, you would have just something called a limited company which is more like a traditional company here in the United States, what, what we would call a C corporation. But at the same time, what we're gonna talk about with you know the reasons why you should be thinking about setting up a company in the first place and all these considerations do come into play. And so it's useful from that perspective, but you're not gonna get a ton of value over hearing things about US tax law, for example.
0: Gotcha, okay. So we just wanted to make that clear before we jump in. So let's go ahead and get started. Why should an online entrepreneur create a corporate entity in the first place?
1: Well, I'm glad you asked this question. And let me start with some tough love here. Okay. (laughs) You know, (laughs) if you are serious about your business, and by that, I mean, if it's more than just a hobby, if you actually intend to make money and try to help your personal life, your family to succeed, you need to set up a corporate entity for your business. And a corporate entity just means a corporation or something where you're actually going to file some paperwork. And the primary reason, and and really the overriding reason, is to limit your personal liability. And, And what I mean by that is if you don't do anything, if you don't go through this step of setting up a corporation of some form, every time you sign a contract on behalf of your business, you're guaranteeing it personally. That means if for some reason you can't perform or you mess up or something like that happens, people can come after you. They can take your house. They can take your car. They can take anything you have personally. So all of a sudden, your business, instead of being something that actually helps you you know, support your family, can become a drag on your family. And so that's the primary reason And what the law does is we view a corporation as a separate person under the law. So then your corporation, whether it's an LLC or something else, can be the one who signs contracts, signs leases, signs all of that stuff. And I like to give the example of my law firm. My law firm has signed every lease I've ever had. I've never signed it personally. And one time I signed a, I think a three or four year lease. And so if things had gone belly up, if my law firm had just been a failure and I'd wanted to go do something else... I could have walked the lease. And the only thing that the landlord could have done was come after the money in my LLC, my my law firm bank account. They couldn't say, hey, Bobby, no, no, you got to pay us the rest of the lease. Mm, And that's the kind of power of it. And and, you know, it'll also help you if you have contractors or employees who mess things up that it can give you some shielding there. Now, I do want to be clear on something. There's something that a lot of people get confused about. Having an LLC doesn't protect you if you screw something up personally. In other words, as a lawyer, if I commit malpractice in a one-on-one relationship, the person can still sue me because I'm the one who screwed up. So you'll still have some liability if, for example, you are a coach, a consultant, they could come after you, your clients could, but other people won't be able to based on what you do in your business. So, so that's the reason you should do it. And again, it's also a pretty cheap investment, so it's worth doing.
0: Okay, so that all makes perfect sense. And there are so many kinds of company forms. So can you walk us through the most common ones?
1: Yeah, I'm happy to. So really, there are four major kinds of companies under, you have to think of this at two levels. This is within your state, wherever you are. So I'm in Washington, D.C., but I used to be in Texas, and you're in California. So there will be multiple kinds of entities you can create under state law. And really, there's kind of four main ones. The first is a sole proprietorship, and that's what happens if you do nothing. If you don't take action under the law, your state is going to treat you as what's called a sole proprietor. Now, that means you're liable for everything you do in your business. If you have contractors, everything they do in your business, if you have employees, everything they do in your business, et cetera. So it it works that way. If you're a sole proprietor, your profits here in the United States are reported on your personal tax return. I think it's a Schedule C. You basically just say, here's the revenue, here are my expenses, and then all flows through 100% to you. So that's the most basic form, and that's what a lot of people go with because it's the default. You don't, It doesn't cost anything. You don't have to do anything to set that up. I'm going to counsel you shouldn't have that, but that's the most basic. The next form is a partnership. And this can be formed either through a contract, maybe you file something, or maybe it just happens naturally. If you agree to share profits and expenses with someone, Amy, the law will presume a partnership. It will say, you guys are partners, in fact. And then it has the same kind of problems as a sole proprietorship, which means you're going to have all the liability, but here's an extra problem. You're also liable for everything your partner does, which wow. not a good thing because you don't necessarily control them. And again, though, the profits are passed through on your past personal tax return just like they would be you know, split if you're 50-50 partners. You say, what's the profit of the business? And then you get 50% of those. So those are the two options that are bad options. Now let's talk about the, the ones that are more formal. The next one we should talk about is the LLC, or Limited Liability Company. And this is the simplest form of a corporation in the American system. It's great for a lot of ways. You get the liability protection. It's a separate entity, so you can sign contracts on behalf of the company, et cetera. You get all of those really good, good protections. It's also normally going to be member managed, which means you don't have some separate board of directors or things that you might think about when you think of a company like a GE of the world. So my businesses, each one is a member managed LLC where I'm the only member and I'm the only manager. So I get to control everything and I make all the decisions. And the good thing about LLCs is once they're formed, there aren't a lot of what we lawyers call formalities, which is just a fancy word for saying, you know, stuff you got to do. You don't have to to keep books and records for an LLC. You don't have to have meetings of a board of directors. You don't have to have stockholder meetings or anything like that because you can set up what you want in your operating agreement. And again, in my case, it would be kind of hard for me to have a meeting since I'm the only manager and the only member. So I don't have to deal with any of that stuff. The default for an LLC is that the profits are passed through to your tax return exactly like they would be if you are um, a a sole proprietor or if there's multiple members as a partnership. So again, you just allocate it based upon that and you just go ahead and and report those on your Schedule C. You don't have to file anything with the IRS, et cetera. So you get that protection. The final kind of corporation is what you and I think of when we think of a corporation. It's called a C corporation. This is the the classic situation where you have stockholders or shareholders. You have a board of directors that are elected to run the thing. You have executives. You have a lot more formalities involved. You have to do things like have annual meetings. You have to have board of director meetings and all of those types of formalities. And you get the same liability protection as an an LLC, but you you also have a double taxation problem there. As a C-Corp, the corporation has to pay income tax on its profits. Then when you as the owner take it as a a profit, a distribution, you're going to pay taxes on that as well. So it's not an ideal form for most entrepreneurs. Gotcha.
0: Okay. So what is the right kind of entity for an online entrepreneur?
1: As you can probably imagine from the discussion, it's generally going to be an LLC. Right. That's okay. what you're going to want to create because you know it's better than the sole proprietorship or partnership because you get the liability protection. And really, the only downside is the filing fee... of what you have to do to get it set up and then in most states there will be a either an annual or biannual fee here in dc we have to do a, a biannual report which just means you have to file something and pay some more money but that's all i have to do once it's set up now it's better than a c corp because it's a lot simpler you don't have to deal with a board of directors or stocks or shares or any of that stuff and you get all of the protections I mean the the reason why someone might go with a C corp is when you're much further along you can get some extra advantages for things like employee uh, benefits programs and benefit plans but most of us online entrepreneurs aren't there and so you're going to just start with an LLC. Once you get there the question becomes do you just be a normal LLC or do you want to go with the S corp election as it's called. Okay, so what is an S corp? So remember earlier I said when I was talking about the different kinds of corporations, I was talking about how things get set up under a state law system. Well, the S-Corp is where the IRS and lawyers have made things complicated to try to confuse people. Great. (laughs) But it's not that confusing. The, The reason why it seems confusing is people think it's a completely different kind of corporation, and it's not. What an S corporation is is it's an election you can make with the IRS to be treated differently. And you could do this if you had a C corporation or an LLC you can make what's called an S corporation election. Now let me kind of walk through what happens if you don't make the election versus what happens if you do make the election. Okay. So if you don't become an uh, an S corp and just go with a traditional LLC you pay yourself as the owner through disbursements whenever you want to. You can just write yourself a check. You don't have to have any schedule. You don't have to withhold payroll taxes from it, et cetera. The company just writes you a check, and then you as the owner will pay quarterly taxes, You know your quarterly estimates. I, get, I forget the exact dates. I think it's April 15th, and then June, and I'll, I'll get the last one wrong. I think it's October, but you know, every three months, you have to file your, your payments. You don't have to file anything. You just send in payments. And come tax return, your business doesn't really have to, doesn't file a tax return. You put it all on your personal tax return and all of the profits from the business, regardless of whether you paid yourself or not, come through to your tax return and you have to pay taxes on it. And here's the key point. You're going to pay two different kinds of taxes on that. The first is what we think of as the federal income tax. So that's the, the thing that we all argue about at various times about what it should be. The second part is self-employment tax. And this is the Medicare, the Social Security, that stuff. So under a normal LLC, you pay income tax and self-employment tax on 100% of the profits from the business. And so you're going to pay that, and it's your income tax level, plus I think it ends up being like 12 or 15%. I don't know the exact numbers for that self-employment, but you'll pay that. Now, on the other hand, if you make the S-corp election things get a little bit different. If you do that, you are required to pay yourself a reasonable wage through payroll on an ongoing basis. And what reasonable means, it, it can't be, you know, minimum wage for someone like you or me. We have to look at, around and say, well, what am I worth? You know, what would I get as a salary somewhere else and you have to justify what that number is. So you have to pay yourself through payroll And this requires you to submit your payroll taxes and forms to the government throughout the year. I think in my business now, my law firm, I'm an S Corp. And I think we have to to deposit my taxes every month and file forms quarterly about what wages have been paid. I do it through a payment processor. I don't try to do that myself, but you have to do that. Now, you then, as the owner, will still have to pay quarterly estimates For profits within your business that weren't paid out as part of your wage. So let's say you made a million bucks in profit, but you were only paying yourself $250,000. You're still going to have to pay income tax on that $750,000 above it. But here's the good part. You won't have to pay the self-employment tax on that money only the income tax. So it can save you that 12 to 15% of taxes that you would otherwise be paying if you had just a standard LLC. Now, the other difference though is with an S corp, the corporation has to file a tax return. It doesn't pay taxes, but it has to file a tax return. So you'll have to hire someone to do that or do it yourself as well. So summing it up, basically an S-corp saves you on taxes, but adds some administrative burdens to your plate.
0: Okay. So I have an S-corp for my business. It started out as a C-corp and then we did the election for an S-corp and I use a payroll company to pay myself. So every month I get a check in the mail that is For me, like I was working a job and getting a paycheck and my payroll company does all of those different tax forms and taxes and all of that that you have to do every month and every quarter. They take care of that. And you are right. There is a lot of different forms and paperwork and kind of like a lot of hoops you have to jump through and because I have the type of revenue I have coming in, I feel comfortable paying people to help me make that all happen. But you and I were talking before this episode, because I got a little nervous. I was reading all of this and I thought, holy cow, we're talking and we're going to talk more about the LLC. And I said, but I'm an S corp. Am I doing this wrong? And can you share what you shared with me about that?
1: I think for your business there's no question you should be an escort. I mean there's multiple reasons. One, you have employees and so you already have the payroll processing. So you're again, I don't know what you have to pay. I know I my payroll processor I think it's an extra $4 a month per person for the payroll processing. Yeah, it's not so not again, a lot. right. So it's not a big deal. So if you're already set up to do it, You don't have a lot of administrative burdens there. You, Amy, I know you're going to be working with an accountant anyway. I don't know what you have to pay for them to do the separate corporation tax return, but that's not going to be a huge cost for you. So for you, there really is – it's a no-brainer. Now, for some entrepreneurs, it's not as easy in a choice. Because it comes down to what is a reasonable salary to pay yourself, which you're required to pay yourself. And again, remember, what you're trying to do is save those taxes, but take on these administrative burdens. Well, if you're a solopreneur who is a coach, let's say, and that's how you make all your money with one-on-one work, you're going to have a hard time arguing that your reasonable salary is less than something close to your overall income because- you are the one. It's your direct work that is generating all of the income. Now, some people are looser with this and would say that you can pay yourself very little and it's not a big deal. But under the IRS rules, you're supposed to look out and say, what would I get paid in the market for a similar job? Mm. And, you know, there's other factors you're going to consider. But for a typical coach or, let's say, someone like me who's a lawyer, it's hard for me as just a solo lawyer in my law firm practice to say that something less than what I'm making in the income there is my reasonable um, wage. So that's kind of the problem. But when you get into, let's say, you're a course creator. And so all of a sudden, you have money coming in from products. Or let's say you have employees who are generating profit for you. All of a sudden... That's when you start to look at it and say, "Well, my wage, I mean, is not necessarily reasonably all of my profits. It's something less. I'm generating profits from products, from other people, etc. And that's when you can generally start to make the justification to pay yourself less. Again, on this, I'm always going to tell you, you should talk to your CPA because they will be a person who can really guide you in the process. But the way to think of it largely is if you're a solopreneur making money off of your own work, and that's how you make your money, you're probably not going to want to go the S-Corp route. Gotcha. Once you're beyond that, it's probably going to be a good decision for you.
0: Okay. So I know this might be a little bit redundant, but I want to make sure we give our listeners all the information they need. So how... Should an entrepreneur decide whether to become an S-corp or not?
1: So the first thing is you got to make sure you qualify. And there's a number of rules to being an S-corp. Most of them are not an issue. So an S-corp can only have 100 members or owners. Again, for, not for your issue. audience, not a problem, <laughs> right? An S-corp can't be owned by other corporations or other LLCs and most trusts. So it has to be owned by the individual. There's a small exception for trust, but again, that's normally not a big issue either. Another thing, not normally an issue for your listeners, the S-Corp can't have different levels of ownership. So in a traditional corporation, you can have, say, preferred members who have voting stock and non-preferred members who don't have voting stock. You can't do that with an S-Corp. Everyone has to be equal. So you know, one share is one share, essentially, is the way it, it has to be treated. Again, not a big problem for your listeners. This is – the last requirement is the one that might come in. You have to be – the owners have to be U.S. citizens or U.S. residents, and that means all of the owners. So if you have a partnership with someone who lives overseas and is not a U.S. citizen, you can't be an S-Corp. It's Mm. just not allowed. So that's where this can come in and and can create a problem. That's really the only qualifier that you need to make sure. Okay. Okay. But then once, let's say you qualify, again, what you have to decide is whether the tax savings you'll get by paying less in your self-employment tax will offset the costs and burdens of setting up and then operating your S-corp. And like I said, normally your best route here is going to be talk to your tax person, your accountant, whoever you do talk to with these things, because they'll give you a good sense of it. You have to figure out what is your reasonable wage going to be, and it has to be a reasonable approximation of the value of your time based on your skills. And again, so the fact that I'm a lawyer doesn't mean that I have to pay myself a lawyer wage in some other business. I mean, if I had a brewery business, I wouldn't have to say, well, you're a lawyer, so you could make that. No, it's, well, what would I make in that business, in that line of work? And generally, like I said, a solopreneur is going to have a hard time separating a large part of the revenue or profit, and say that it's profit, not a wage. And so normally you're gonna not get a lot of savings there, but you can once you get bigger. I mean, the the example I use as a lawyer is: let's say in my law firm, I had revenue after costs other than myself of two hundred fifty thousand dollars for the year. I couldn't pay myself twenty four thousand dollars and call that a reasonable wage. I mean, the IRS would never buy that. Maybe I could make some argument that it's something less than two hundred fifty thousand, but I'm gonna have a hard time justifying it. So. That's where you have a problem, but if you can make a good argument that your reasonable wage is something less than your revenue minus other costs other than yourself, then you will likely want to go the S-corp route if you're making a decent amount of money. Again, it's going to cost you, I think I pay $100 a month for my payroll company, and then you're going to have to do a tax return at the end of the year. So it's not a huge cost. I think it's less than $2,000 at the end of the day on an annual basis, and at 12%, you can get there pretty quickly. So that's the analysis you have to do.
0: Okay. So could you start as an LLC and then as your business grows and you make more money and all that good stuff, move into an
1: S Corp? You can't. So the S Corp is an election with the IRS and you can make it at different points. You could elect to be treated as an S Corp from the beginning. You have, I think, 75 days, uh, within 75 days of forming your company, you can make that election. Or each year you could decide. And for each tax year, you have to decide and file something with the IRS. I think it's called the 2553 form, but you can find it by just search for S Corp election form and you'll find it. You have to file that. It's by mid-March. It depends on kind of the way things fall on weekends, et cetera. But just think March 15th normally is your deadline that you have to file in any given year. So you could operate as an LLC for a few years. I did that in my law firm at the outset. But then I think my second full year in operation, I made the S-corp election and I filed the form and converted to an S-corp. And part of the reason I did that is I knew I was gonna be hiring someone. So I was gonna have payroll. So I said, it just makes sense. And so you can make that any future year. There is a process to try to file late in a year, but I don't like messing with the IRS personally. So if I was going to do it, I'd make the decision at the beginning of the year and file by whatever, March 15th or whatever the particular date is in a given year. And then once you make that election as an S-Corp, you continue to be an S-Corp unless you file a form changing back in the future. So you can be an LLC and then later decide, I'm going to become an S-Corp. And then you're set as an S-Corp until you change your mind again.
0: Gotcha. Okay. All right. So then let's circle back to the LLC because a lot of my listeners, that's where they're going to want to start. So can you talk about the process of actually forming your LLC?
1: Yeah. Okay, cool. Um, So the first thing I want to do is dispel a myth that a lot of people have heard that you should form your LLC somewhere else. So a lot of what I hear from people is, oh, I should form it in Nevada because there's no tax or something like that. That is not true. It doesn't matter where you form your LLC. You are going to pay your taxes, your income taxes based on where you live. So if you live in California and create a Nevada LLC, you're still going to pay California income tax on all your profits. So the advice I give to people is form your LLC in your own state. And the reason why Is it's the simplest way. So when you do that, you just form it in your state, and then that's all you have to do. You can make some decisions to do other things. If you form it in another state, here's what you'll do you'll file in that other state to form it. You will have to hire what is called a registered agent in that state, someone who's physically present there and could accept a lawsuit, for example, on behalf of the company. And then you're still going to have to register your company as a foreign corporation within your home state, pay a fee there too. And so you're going to be paying multiple fees and paying an agent and just it's a lot more complicated. So really, there's no reason to do that. So form it in your own state. And the process is actually pretty simple. Oh, good. In most states, what you're going to want to do is just first thing, go to your state's corporations division website. In most states, it will be in a division called the Secretary of State's office. But you just search you know, how to form a, an LLC in and then put whatever your state is, and you'll find where it is. And the reason why I say to do that is most states will have great information about exactly what you have to do, including exactly what information you're going to have to provide to the state. It's not a bunch. In D.C., I think I have to answer eight questions. So you don't have to worry that it's going to be a very hard thing to do. But so the first thing to do, go figure out what you're going to have to submit Figure out if there are any special rules like in in New York, for example, there's what's called the publication rule that you have to like publish that you're forming this in a publication, which is kind of weird to me, but you have to do that so. You need to see if there are any of those weird rules. Okay. Then you got to pick an A. I the
0: legal part of that. Check to see if there's weird rules.
1: Yeah, well, <laughs> I, mean, that's the, I mean, the problem of, of our federal <laughs> system with 50 states plus territories is there might be weird rules. <laughs>
0: okay,
1: got um, it. But so my point is I'm going to walk through the basic process. You need to check to make sure your state doesn't have some additional requirements. Gotcha. So the second piece is pick a name, and this really isn't something that relates to your trademark, for example. I I know, Amy, your company name, for example, is actually different than what you market your brand under, which is perfectly common. There's no problem with that. You can do that. You just have to find a name that has not been taken in your state. That's all you have to do for this purpose. Again, you might want to go through the process of figuring out what your brand is going to be and use that, but you have to do that process, basically find one that isn't taken yet. Then you're going to file the necessary paperwork with your state. It's going to be online. You're not going to want to go in person. Most places will actually charge you more if you do it in paper. And it's generally a simple process. Like I said, in DC, it's it's eight questions, I believe. And one of them is, what's the name? One of them is, what's the address? One of them is, who's your registered agent? Which... If you file it in your own state, you can be your own registered agent. So me, Bobby Klink, I'm the registered agent for both of my LLCs. So if anyone wants to sue the company, they serve me with a lawsuit. So you do that, and then you're done. At that point, you will have an LLC set up in your state. And then you'll want to go to the IRS website and get yourself an EIN, which is an employee ID number. This is your, think of it as your social for your business, if you haven't done that yet. Then the fifth piece is you're going to want to create an operating agreement. And this is basically the agreement between you and the company that defines how it's going to be managed and talks about basic ownership issues. Again, if you're a single member LLC, it's pretty simple. If there are two people, it can be more complicated and and you need to have some things in about, well, what happens if someone wants to get out? What happens if you can't agree? But those are pretty easy. You can find templates, a lot of different places that you can use as a starting place for those. So that's it in a nutshell. Those are the steps you're going to need to set up your LLC.
0: Gotcha. Okay. So this is doable, very doable. What do entrepreneurs need to do once they've set up their LLC?
1: Well, I'm reminded of a song by The Offspring that says (laughs) you got to keep them separated. and In other words, you have to keep your business finances and your personal finances separate. So
0: important. I'm so glad you brought this up. Sorry to cut you off. But when I was just starting out, this was a big deal for me to create the business bank account and have these two totally different accounts, which feels weird when you're just starting out because all the money just kind of feels like it's all the same. But you've got to get legit in this way.
1: Yeah. And the reason you have to do this, so let me back up. If you're going to go through the process of creating an LLC or any other corporate entity, the last thing you want to do is do something that would make a court, I'm going to use some legal lingo here. It's called pierce the corporate veil, which basically what it means is if someone were to sue you for something for the business, they're going to say, well, I'm going to let them go after you personally, not just the business. And the quickest way that a court will do that is if you don't treat your finances separate. If you treat your finances and the business finances all the same, the court's going to say, well, then they can come after you. And so you've got to separate it to keep that liability protection in place. But candidly, one of the best reasons to do it, Amy, has nothing to do with the law. It Mm. makes it so simple come tax time. I mean I take my my QuickBooks – over to my accountant and say, here you go. Here's my business. Here are all my business you know, revenues, expenses, everything all done. And I don't have to worry about at the end of the year trying to figure out what well, was that business? Was that? I don't have to do any of that. So that's the first piece. And the big part of this is don't pay personal expenses out of your business. And a lot of people freak out about this and say, well, what about if I want to pay you know, for business expense personally? You can do that. You just do a reimbursement form. So for example, I have a personal credit card that gets me American Airlines miles and gives me special benefits when I fly on American. Well, anytime I travel, I use that to buy my ticket, even if it's business. But then I submit a written piece of you know reimbursement form and write a check from the business to myself to pay for it. And again, I literally do this. I have a piece of paper, which I sign on both behalves, But then there's just no question that I'm treating it differently.
0: Mm, okay.
1: So that's the first piece is, is this, you know, keep the finances separate. But then the next piece is sign things on behalf of the corporation get in the practice of if someone sends you a contract for example let's say it's a vendor or let's say it's an outside contractor and they 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 name you personally say no no I want it to be in the name of the company and so put it in the name of the company not your personal name and then you sign it as a representative of the company. And so you get in that practice. And once you do that, it just becomes routine that that's how you're doing it. And and then the liability would be on the company, not on not on you. So those are kind of the important things. Keep it separate and keep it separate in the finances, but also in how you're signing different contracts. Gotcha. Okay, perfect.
0: Now, what about multi passionate entrepreneurs? Should they set up a different LLC for each business they start?
1: Well, I like to tell people don't go LLC crazy. Now, (laughs) ultimately, if you're running multiple successful businesses, you're going to want to have separate LLCs for the different business. But you and I, Amy, I think know a lot of people who have a lot of different ideas and start a lot of different businesses. And then, you know, maybe it it fizzles out and doesn't go anywhere. And so you don't want to go through this process, most likely, of creating an LLC until you're pretty confident that that's going to be another going concern for a while. Now, what I want to tell you is the liability is based on the LLC. So if you're running multiple businesses out of one LLC, any liability of any one of your businesses kind of transfers to all of the others. So that means if you're doing great in this one business, but you really messed something up in this other one. They can come after your first business to to satisfy the debt. If you had different LLCs, they wouldn't be able to do that. But don't make it complicated. Don't let that be a reason. What I kind of tell people is, is wait until you're pretty darn sure that you're going to be running it as a separate business for a long time, and then it might make sense. The one caveat, there might be a reason why from the very outset, you want to make clear that it is a separate business. I did that with my online business, Your Online Genius. I wanted to make absolutely clear it was a different entity from my law firm. It's not providing legal advice or legal services. So I went ahead and set up a second LLC right away. That might be a reason if you're a counselor, if you're a coach, and you're setting up some kind of different online business when where you're not providing professional advice at all, that might be a reason to set up a different LLC from the get-go.
0: Okay, that makes sense, definitely. Oh, Bobby, it looks like our listeners have some guidelines as to what they need to do next to protect themselves and the businesses that they have worked so hard to create. So although you come here with the least sexy topics in the world, in my humble opinion, you sure as heck do us right. So thank you so much for spending the time talking about all this stuff with us.
1: Well, thanks for having me on, Amy. It was my pleasure. Again, I kind of enjoy this stuff, but I get that this is not the stuff that entrepreneurs really want to be thinking about. Luckily, this is one, once you get it set up, you don't really have to think about it again.
0: It's true. And you know, I've had my business for almost 10 years now, and I've had it set up a certain way. But in all honesty, I didn't know these particulars. And so it was really good for me just to listen intently, really understand it. And I did think, okay, once I know this, I don't need to come back to it, it's done. But we do need to educate ourselves. And so I hope that my listeners just take the time to take it all in. We've got to put on our big boy or our big girl pants and say like, I need to know this stuff. But then once you know, you're good to go. You can make the moves you need to make and then go on to the stuff that we absolutely love doing in our business. So again, thank you so much for this. And Bobby, I know we talked about this in the beginning, But one more time, tell people how they can learn more about what you've got and work with you in different ways. So give me a rundown.
1: Well, so the best way for people to find me is is just Your Online Genius. So the website's youronlinegenius.com. You can find me on Instagram at youronlinegenius. You can find my business page. And then I've got some free Facebook groups again, by searching for your online genius. That's the easiest way to get in touch with me. Um, I have my law firm clink LLC. If you go to the website, you know, hopefully by the time this goes live, it will actually represent what I do. But as we're recording (laughs) it, it it has nothing to do with what I do currently, but if you wanted to get in touch with me, you could do that. But the easiest way is find me on Facebook, find me on Instagram or go to youronlinegenius.com And then from there, you know, you can kind of start the process of getting in touch.
0: Awesome. Fantastic. I know you're going to be back with some more legal wisdom. So until then, thanks again, Bobby, and take care. Okay, one more thing before we wrap up, and that is I really want to tell you about next week's guest. You're not even going to believe who's going to be on the show. Are you ready for this? Next week's guest is Seth Godin, the Seth Godin. I am so excited about this one, and to tell you the truth, I was so nervous about this interview. I just didn't want to mess up, but of course, Seth is a complete professional and so incredibly kind. The interview was fantastic, and I can't wait till you hear all about it. Now, I've been following Seth's blog and reading his books since the early days of growing my online business. I am a huge fan. Seth has a new book coming out, and we are talking about marketing that is rooted in empathy and generosity. And because I attract people that lead with their heart, that put a lot of heart and soul into their marketing and launching and messaging, uh, hint, I'm talking about you, Seth's interview is going to resonate with you more than any interview I've ever done. So you definitely do not want to miss it. Because today's episode aired on a Tuesday, Seth's interview is coming up in just two days, this Thursday. So join me right back here later this week as I welcome Seth on the show. Okay, so I guess I've got one more thing for you. Do not forget to subscribe to my podcast because the minute the bonus episodes go out, you're going to be notified because I don't always email about those. And the minute that Seth is on the show, you will get notified. So wherever you listen to this podcast, iTunes, iHeartRadio, wherever it might be, make sure to hit that subscribe button so you don't miss a thing. Okay, guys, I cannot wait to talk to you again soon. I will see you this Thursday with my extra special Seth Godin interview. Talk to you soon. Bye for now.